Hey, this is Damien O'Darty. We are here on a conference call podcast with uh, a long-term friend of uh, the pod and of also our firm uh, and family. His name is Cullum O'Commertoon. He is the founding partner of 50 State, which is the United States of America's leading firm for addressing all 50 states in public affairs. So, so many people think of lobbying and public affairs, all those in the context of Washington, D.C. Cullum sort of beat everybody to the punch, which is that action and things that were of note and progress were happening at the state level and state capitals all over the country. And he is he and his partner, Phil Cox, uh, each headed their respective parties, the Democratic Governors Association and the Republican Governors Association. So they are quite a combo. They've got an incredible team, including uh, the remarkable Roshan Patel, who started the Lieutenant Governors Association. I'm surprised it took, uh, took you all that long to figure that out. But I am uh, so grateful to have you on, Colm. Sorry for the long roll, but uh, how'd I do? Damien, it's always an amazing pleasure to be with you in any context, whether it's uh, hiking a trail, uh, having great food at a very healthy spot, uh, talking about the need for uh, screening out the distractions in your life, or uh, talking about how to best help our clients uh, right across the country. I've always enjoyed it, and uh, I continue to to just love seeing you and, and getting your very, very unique perspective on our business. Somebody accused me of being uh, Columbo the other day. and I, I learned that that was <laughs> the word inelegant was used, I think. So I well, you always get your man. I mean, that's the key, isn't it? And uh, Columbo was a very iconoclastic person, right? He was no respecter of rank on behalf of his client, which was the people of the United States. So I think that's a massive compliment. You <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got to take that to the bank. Hey, listen, you know, um, Roshan Patel, your partner, and I always have fun with uh, this idea of sort of where, uh, you know, we all know what you are now uh, and very little of America has a real understanding of where you came from, but they think you just arrived on the scene in Washington and all these state capitals, you know, 10 years ago and took the, took the whole scene by storm. Uh, but some of us know there's a little deeper uh, narrative to that. And there's certainly a lot of hard work that was involved. So I just love to hear how you got to that pretty special place in public affairs. Just a pretty special perch you have there. Well, like everybody, I was in the right time at the right place. And I had an amazing leader, a mentor, um, guiding light North Star, really in Martin O'Malley. I was, uh, I came to the U.S. 30 years ago now at this point uh, and landed in Boston at the Fletcher School and then the Kennedy School. But really, after a couple of years of that, I ended up at the Boston College Irish Institute, which had had a large grant to fund support for the peace process in Northern Ireland by supporting those in government, elected officials and um, public officials in Ireland, Northern Ireland and Britain. The goal was to bring them together to help them work more effectively. Our role in that was to get them out of their pressure cooker environment, bring them to the United States, show them best practices, 
uh, great models, some great leaders, and encourage them to stop thinking about the place they're from and start thinking a little bit about how working together they could get to a new place. As we looked at various aspects of government, you know, the usual transportation, healthcare type uh, silos, we landed on the shore through an old friend of mine, Michael Enright, who at the time was Ben Cardin's legislative director in the House, went to the Kennedy School and I worked there and then had become Martin O'Malley's chief of staff in City Hall. Uh, we spent a lot of time looking at the uh, unique data-based model of governing that was really appealing to people in Northern Ireland because just like uh, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white and you need your pothole filled, you want to make sure it's because there's a map that shows the need is being met by the resources. In Northern Ireland, it was very helpful to think of resources being allocated, not as they had in the past based on your religion or uh, loyalties and affiliation, but based on your needs for bridges, roads, healthcare, housing, etc. And a data-driven model was very appealing to those folks. They immediately latched onto it and O'Malley became a favorite on our travels around the United States. So I spent time with him, brought him to Ireland, uh, and eventually I came to work in City Hall in Baltimore um, for O'Malley and, and uh, spent a lot of time actually at the US Conference of Mayors, which is really where I first got really interested in best practices, national models and national leaders. Uh, and when we transitioned to the State House in Annapolis, where I was in the governor's office there, again, I spent a lot of time on the national and international platforms that the governor was involved in, um, the National Governors Association, uh, and a whole host really of, of uh, policy think tanks and thought leader positions. Uh, I spent a lot of time there. And so when he transitioned to being chair of the Democratic Governors Association, uh, I became the executive director of the DGA. While I was there, uh, I had a cordial relationship with the my, my peer on the other side, partly because there was a tradition at DGA and RGA of having a, a normal relationship with the person in the other role, but also because Martin O'Malley was the governor of Maryland and chair of the DGA. Bob McDonald was the governor of Virginia, chair of the RGA, and had been um, Phil Cox's pathway to the RGA. Our states are neighbors. We have to cooperate and we have to work together. And uh, as you know, Damien, communications directors uh, sometimes take the easy shots, uh, even if they're not necessarily as helpful to the cause as, as you would hope. Uh, and for them to start taking shots at O'Malley and Bob McDonald gratuitously, uh, without it really being helpful to electing governors in states, was unhelpful to the chairs of the DJ and RJ. So I, I worked with, uh, you know, one day I saw a videographer was following O'Malley around DC, and it turned out that person was working for the RGA. So I called Phil. I'm like, Phil, I, you know, I'm not sure this is going to be, it, it's going to be helpful to you. Uh, O'Malley's not even running again. So it's not like it's going to help unelect him. It, it's really just part of a communications kind of uh, mindset that I think is, is not move the pawns forward uh, on our chessboard. So he was like, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I asked, I had as my communications director, Liz Smith, 
who is one of my favorite people in the world. She's a legend in the communications business. Arguably the greatest of all time. I think she's amazing. I think, you know. I love her. But she is sometimes aggressive for the sake of being aggressive or or, or uh, as part maybe of a of a, a general approach rather than a specific approach. And so I had to uh, pull her back a little bit from some uh, gratuitous attacks on Bob for... Uh, he was such a breath of fresh air to the whole O'Malley uh, sort of band of brothers because, you know, she... I, felt, I always felt like I was like an errant altar boy hanging out with those guys. It, you know, they were always such uh, straight arrows. And, and Liz is certainly a straight arrow. would go right through you. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, <laughs> my hat's off. She enjoys uh, making people feel slightly less comfortable than they're, they're used to, especially folks who know each other well. As she'll just blow in there. And, and we all deserve it. It's, deserve it's a great liberating uh, relief to minds that are gelled together. So amazing. Love it. Well, before we get ourselves in any trouble there, Let's get to something that you are working on, which really tracks with the, the model that you've had. And, and, and Liz is on Colm's team, if, if people uh, ever need to get a, get a hold of her. Um, but, but can you talk to me a little bit about State of Reform, which is, again, another colleague of yours, DJ Wilson, uh, out of the uh, Pacific Northwest, has really built a state-by-state -state experience like yours but it's, uh, it's centered around a convening called State of Reform, which is all about healthcare and health policy and that intersectionality that is so uniquely, um, um, it, it just doesn't, it does not have quite the spotlight on it that, that it should, I think, or even the moments to get together where health policy people can meet with elected people, can meet with um, uh, uh, folks in the corporate side, of healthcare all across the board and talking about the issues of the day. That's May 13th. It's online. People can check it out at stateofreform.com. Colm, talk to me about uh, its emergence in Maryland and, and how you got to know DJ and this uh, pretty remarkable experience he's developed. Uh, it's a great parallel to well, the vision that we were bringing to our business. Our business is a business that had been very siloed. If you if you were a major corporation and you wanted to navigate the uh, Republican platforms and the Democratic platforms, DGA, RGA, NAGA, DAGA, RAGA, DLCC, RSLC, all the way third way, uh, PPI, great thought leader platforms, uh, you would hire very often a lone gun on the Republican side, lone gun on the Democratic side who may not know each other, certainly don't work together, uh, and you would use the two of those folks to try and navigate these myriad um, committees and engagement opportunities. It, it was very disjointed. It was inconvenient, I feel, for the corporations, and it didn't give them that bigger corporate feel for, for research, for memos, white papers, uh, and the ability to be in two places at the one time and having two conversations at the one time. We thought that was a gap in the market and, and we filled it and it's been very successful for us and we think it's been very successful for our clients. Um, and similarly, on the healthcare space, tons of conferences. We say it real quick, yeah. when you say market, you, you actually mean it's, you're actually intending to mean a bit of a, a market of ideas, aren't you? Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, when you can 
consider that, you know, the sociology of one person can only have relationships with, you know, great relationships with six to 10 people and really any meaningful relationship with 50 people. We're in a business where we have to help folks bridge that. And that's where our team, which is, you know, nearly 20 people work so closely with big firms who have sometimes too many people and too many competing ideas or small firms where it's a, it's a one person shop that has to try and do a lot of work. You know, we are the marketplace for helping them to achieve whatever they need, whether they need um, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker at any one time. Uh, we've got somebody who's standing beside those stalls and, and making sure that everybody's talking to each other. That's a great analogy. Uh, on the on the state reform piece, you know, me and Phil saw that there was a, an, an opportunity there uh, for, and, and so our clients are nonprofits, startups, people who are in a couple of states and want to scale, or people that are multi-state clients who are regulated or sell products to the government, like, you know, computers or uh, hardware or software. Uh, many of those are household names and, and national nonprofits. Um, that, that are also household names. Um, and one of the things I loved about State of Reform was similarly, there are a million convenings and conferences in the healthcare space, but it tends to be doctors talking to doctors about doctors' issues, nurses talking to nurses about nurses' issues, uh, the SEIU talking to labor and workers about their issues, dentists talking about dental issues, insurers talking about insurance issues. Uh, Nobody had brought all of those healthcare policymakers together in one place and asked uh, the regulators and elected members who have so much influence in the, in the area to come in and have an open dialogue and a conversation, talk a little bit about on a state-by-state -state basis, what does the year ahead look like? What are the impacts to our state from outside, whether it be economic, whether it be uh, federal uh, government and regulators and funders? And how can we uh, all get on the same page about the things we agree on and, and build relationships in order to just enhance the health and health policy outcomes for everybody in the state? More and more, you know, when United Healthcare uh, and it can acknowledge that more than 50% of its business is in the public sector managing public dollars on our behalf. Uh, we're seeing that, you know, intersection between what, well, you know, people sometimes for malicious intent will talk about government-run healthcare versus private-run healthcare. In our, in our situation, the way we've organized healthcare, the private sector runs everything. And the government is trying to make sure that we get the most value for the most people. And that's sometimes a conflict. And, and, uh, uh, we're living in these times of extraordinary change in the health sector, which is growing, uh, but still not everybody is included. Amazing and fun times. And I've really enjoyed the uh, opportunity to be part of that conversation with uh, State of Reform. In, in, we, we've been at it in, in places as different as, Austin, uh, as Texas, uh, Hawaii, uh, and, and I have not made it to the Alaska conference, but uh, it's just for me, it was, yeah, for me, it was just a, what, you know, you go through this business of public affairs and at the end of the day, you're, you, you realize you're, you're, you're the kid and the graduate and somebody's fine is telling you, Hey, healthcare, 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 <laughs> healthcare is the plastics. Right. Yeah. And, uh, 
especially after what, what everybody's just gone through. I just thought it was a very welcome bridge for a generalist in public affairs and public relations and government affairs to kind of come across, uh, get to speak with some of those people about our view of the world. Uh, but more importantly, just kind of soak in what these people think is important. Also see how you know, different corporations were trying to position themselves in the idea space that you guys, uh, that you all provide there. And then uh, two other things I like to point out about it. One, it's a delight because you can go to your clients and say, hey, they, they did this in Arizona. They did this in Northern California. You know, you, your peer organization there sponsored this event. So it's sort of a it's, it's uniquely accepted, I think, by healthcare partners and everything from insurance to behavioral health to, to, to hospitals. So it's remarkable in that fashion. And then the coolest thing for me with, with these opportunities, just looking at it from a professional, you know, I don't have a knockout punch despite what we named our firm. I got to really rely on taking our clients into deep rounds you know, uh, take them into the later rounds. We win those battles by just constant content generation and really trying to persuade or amplify or um, bolster some folks' points. And this, this venue gives me a chance to highlight my client's interaction with State of Reform. Maybe they contribute some content. Uh, maybe some the, one of the reporters does a story on an issue that explains some of the intersectionality of partnerships. So it's just a, and then when you have the conference, it's a great content grab and then coming out of it, you can explain what happened. So for professionals in our space, you know, it gives you a chance to really get people focused on what matters in healthcare and, also and put a bit of personal. Helping them be aware of what else is going on that is going to impact what matters to them. I mean, look, it's like, you know, <clears throat> what amazes me is uh, you, if you're in Maryland and you can't buy beer in a store on a Sunday, you think that's perfectly normal. That's just the way it is in America. You go to another state and everybody's getting their <laughs> wine at Costco and they're going to the giant to stock up on beer on a, on a lovely hot Sunday. And you wonder, uh, how come we don't have that, right? Uh, unless you talk to other people, we got a great healthcare model, but not so much on the three-tiered system right. of liquor distribution. Right? I think people forget our system is very unique. Uh, other places have different systems, different outcomes, uh, different models, and uh, they're not set in stone. You can change your model. You can have better outcomes. You can do different things. Uh, so you got to talk to people. And one of the things I love about state of reform is when you go to the Maryland conference, you're going to be part of a national community. You're going to be part of a national conversation for the year until the next conference online. Uh, and, and I thought that uh, they did a really nice job of building a national ongoing conversation online uh, for anybody that attends uh, because that, that's where we get ideas. We get ideas. We don't know where we're going to get ideas. Maybe the most amazing idea in healthcare is going to come from Alaska, but we're never going to go there. And so uh, by living a little bit of our lives online, we get the very best, I think. So uh, look, I mean, when we went to this conference, it's it's in person and very, very different, very enjoyable. I think that this Zoom introduction to conferences in general enables more people to come, more people to spend time. Uh, Sorry, more exposure. But I'm hoping 
you know, also that we're going to at least get a blended version in every uh, 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 back on track as soon as possible because there's nothing like seeing people in person to to really mm -hmm. dig down. Now you are a people person, and I've seen you handle these uh, these events like a, ma a maestro, particularly the governors. Um, but I would imagine if I'm a senior official in public life, I might not mind this uh, migration to Zoom versus, you know, shaking my clammy hands at a Capitol Hill uh, pub or something like that. Any thoughts on the future of, you know, political convenings and fundraisings and, and things that you're, you're seeing out yeah, there? Yeah, I think there's two aspects of it. I think Zoom is is perfectly fine and and very very useful for maintaining relationships and for getting work done. It's not a place that you build a relationship from scratch, that you meet people for the first time, and that you uh, uh, are when there's a time of great change. You know, in, in for in our world, for example, we're going to have 36 races in 2022 with a possible turnover of you know 20 governors. Uh, that is a a, a, a group of a hundred people that I normally deal with that are going to change in governor's offices, in administrations, in um, uh, state agencies, whatever, right? So how am I going to meet them? I'm not going to meet them on Zoom, but I can meet them by going there, by going to a conference, by going to uh, their office, by, by physically seeing them in person people are way more willing to open their door, meet you for the first time and give you some of their time um, in person than they are by Zoom. So I think Zoom is here to stay for certain continuing conversations, but for our business, we have to get back to the original connection in person that will be sustained you know, through four or eight years. I don't think there's anything like it. And, and I don't think you can meet- So you think we're gonna get a full, we're gonna get a Full Ted, uh, Ted Venetoulis, uh, Speaker Pelosi, Maryland delegation extravaganza brunch, as we always do. I can expect that because that's my favorite. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I think uh, it, it, the, may, the next year may not be a 100% return to normal. And I do wonder about budgets. Uh, if I'm a CIO, if I'm a, C, a CFO, I, I am looking very, very closely at travel and entertainment budgets because it's been a boon to the bottom line to not have so uh, much travel. And isn't that true? Yeah. We just saw those numbers and I was I was like, whoa. That's you know, uh, it was really uh that was really something. So just for a little firm. Yeah. So uh but if you're a if you're a giant multi-state firm that, that's a massive amount of money. And I think people are gonna to have to justify uh, that sort of travel, and, which in our business is the bread and butter. Uh, so I think that'll be slower to come back. Uh, but again, in a, in a, if for us, it's absolutely essential that some of it come back. I mean, D RGA is back because it, they tend to have, you know, Republican governors have a different approach than Democratic governors to the in-person events. Uh, but DGA has got to come back uh, soon for us in order to to engage the hundreds of people that are going to be involved in the 2022 gubernatorial elections um we we got to get in and, and engage with those folks early 
What's that looking like for uh, the blue team that uh, you you are on fills on the red team? What's that look like for you uh, this next cycle for governors across the United States? You know, I think we've got, uh, we were very lucky last year that we didn't have uh, very much turnover. Uh, we we did lose Montana uh, and, and we have a number of red state Democratic governors that are up like Kansas, very important for us that we hold Kansas. She's doing an amazing job and, and, and uh, you know, the Brownback experiment uh, is a model for overreach by Republicans for ideology over outcomes. And so we really want to keep her down in Kansas. She does a great job. I know that I was at a fundraiser in your office uh, for Governor Kelly uh, when she first ran and looked like a really uh, long shot. Uh, but she is just that practical, decent, solid legislator, non, non-ideological, who's just looking to help the, the people of our state. And, and so we really want to save her. On the other hand, we've got a Republican governor in a Democratic state that you're familiar with uh, in the state of Maryland. And it's going to be a real opportunity for us to replace him and uh, uh, with, a, with a, a Democrat. And I think we've got some great options forming in the in the Maryland field already. Happy to, I'm sure there will be a podcast devoted to that issue uh, coming soon. What about Maryland? Uh, are you spoken for in that uh, space? Hey, I have my own uh, favorite, Damien. Uh, I, I, I think that, uh, I'll be honest, I think Wes Moore is, the, is an amazing candidate. I think he's an amazing person and he's been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, but more importantly, I think it's been an absolute disgrace how Larry Hogan has been allowed to uh, to get away with doing less than any governor in modern times in the state of Maryland. Uh, uh, he's the least scrutinized. He is the, uh, the most gratuitous when it comes to uh, riding above reality. A man who canceled the red line and has failed to get the purple line built because of his own absolute ineptitude uh, as a judge described it uh, when it came to his own transportation department which ended up paying the contractors on that project hundreds of millions of dollars uh, as they walked away and said Larry Hogan does not know how to make a P3 work. Within a week Larry Hogan went to the NGA to give um, speeches about how the Maryland P3 miracle was a model that everybody in America should use. Now it's that's because of a lack of scrutiny and and uh, I think that has has uh, has been a lesson to us uh, as Democrats in the state of Maryland, and so we we we've got to hold governors to to account. And God knows when Martin O'Malley was in office, he was held to account by everybody, from the League of Conservation Voters to the Baltimore Sun. Endless, endless stories of what we could be doing better. And yeah. well, I see all I see all the people all over the country at the highest levels of government. You know, people that worked with you that are you know, running the biggest campaigns in the country or people that worked with you and are in the White House. Um, and I just, I feel like, you know, if the state loses that for eight years or, you know, a Democratic Party and, and its appurtenant ecosystem can't win but with one candidate in the last 20 plus years, you know, you just... You know, you don't get a Josh Sharstein, you know, you don't get uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, you don't get these people that get their training 
you know, in Abby Hopper, in governor's offices, as cabinet officials, and then move on to the next level to serve. And I just, it's a, you know, for me, it's just a bummer to see the, the lack of attention. I think we get sleepy with the no term limits in the legislature, mm-hmm. the state legislature, and no term limits at the con- congressional level being so close to DC, you know, uh, I think there's a real legislative mindset in Maryland Democratic Party politics. I'll get off my soapbox. Yes, complacency, I think, is our number one challenge in the state. Reactive. So a big year. Uh, I think Democrats are going to do well. Uh, I think Joe Biden is absolutely remarkable and doing a fantastic job. I mean, we're recording this the night after his uh, laying out his vision for the future of America. And I think it's transformative. Uh, I would not have bet that Joe Biden would be the one to finally call out the America's problems uh, that they started in 1980. And, uh, and we really haven't had Democratic presidents call that out and do anything about it until Joe Biden. He's doing a fantastic job. Uh, I couldn't be happier um, with, with the vision he lays out and the, the approach he's taking, which is just uh, inclusive, not divisive. It is speaking for the vast majority of Americans. Um, and and I, I hope that we enter a period where people will look at the results and not the rhetoric and say, the man whose $300 a month per child policy will do more to change poverty in America than has been done in 40 years deserves uh, to be given the credit for that, uh, rather than the man who spent four years talking about uh, you know, things that just never happened, walls that weren't built, uh, enemies that weren't there, threats and challenges that didn't really exist. I, I really hope people will give Biden a chance. It's been amazing. And so I think Democratic governors will do well. You know, in fairness, very often the governor's race is a proxy vote on the presidency. So, you know, we ran against George W. Bush when O'Malley ran against Bob Ehrlich. And and God knows we, we lost. We them. like to take credit for all the ads and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing ads made the difference. And and actually, you know, I'll tell you what I will give you credit for, which is very important. Baltimore County, you can't, you can't let me not have credit for Baltimore County. But also, you were, great Jim Smith you were part of the uh, the drumbeat of holding Bob Ehrlich accountable. So that when the governor's race happened, there was a, a clear choice to be made between Bob Ehrlich's vision of Maryland and Martin O'Malley's vision of Maryland. And people clearly chose Martin O'Malley's. And uh, nobody has been doing that uh, with Larry Hogan the way you did it with Bob Ehrlich. So we owe you a debt uh, of gratitude for that. No, that was just Martin O'Malley lift up leaders. You know, he, he, he showed that like, if you worked hard or you, you were any part of the team, even at the smallest level that he would pop you up and pat you on the head. And I probably needed that more than anybody. And uh, so it was wonderful to do that. And then Jim Smith was just such a integral guy that he would, uh, you know, I don't think he took any great pleasure in it, but whenever there was a chance to just remind people that Bob Ehrlich wasn't serving his home county, he did he did not pull any punches, and uh, that was uh, that was a wonderful thing to behold. It takes a big team effort. We'll see if uh, see if you can get some of that Glenn Denning O'Malley spirit back into the Democratic uh, um, 
gubernatorial experience. Yeah, I think would do well. I think that Biden, I think Biden is doing what he needs to do to make the Democratic Party a party that's relevant to work on Americans again. And if it's, uh, we all have to take some blame for for those uh, Democrats who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and and in fairness, many of them hadn't seen really a Democratic Party serve them in a long time. And I think Biden is changing the dynamic. So I think it's going to be a good environment for Democrats going forward. Should I be should I be worried about Ron DeSantis? Is he somebody that could connect nationally out of Florida? That's sort of Trumpy that you guys have your you all have your eyes on it or or are there other folks on the Republican side that you look at and say, mm, that, that, one, that, that one concerns me? Um, I, I, I encourage every Republican uh, who has views from the very, very far right to uh, slightly less far right to get into this race, to point out the flaws in the other people who uh, will be running for president. Uh, and then we'll see, oh, Larry Hogan will wade in there as well. Uh, so the beauty is, uh, I think you've got a lot of people who feel that they should be president uh, from, you know, Rubio to, to Cruz and DeSantis is definitely one of those. But Larry Hogan was one of those as well. So I think you'll see lots and lots of uh, of activity with Owen Brennan. They've got uh, with Owen Brennan. Here's you know, here's what makes Cruz dangerous. He's got Owen Brennan, who's the who's really one of the most creative people in the political space. They did amazing ads on HRC and such. And then the resilience of Ted Cruz, like as much as you try to knock that candidate down and man, that people have leveled some fantastic blows against him. Including Donald he Trump. Pops back. Yeah, I mean, but he just pops back up. Because he's shameless. I, when I see- Because he's completely yeah, shameless. Well, he, that's what it takes, you know? And when I see uh, when I see somebody that resilient, I'm always like, whoa, that, that, that person could be dangerous. The double IV leaguer, uh, uh, East Coast elitist who, who talks about the problem in America is elitism. Yeah, I, I mean, you have to be really shameless to navigate your way through you know, when you're an immigrant and you're and you say immigrants are the problem, you're in that sort of shamelessness is absolutely key to success in the Republican Party. And as long as we allow it to continue, then those folks will do well. But at some point, people have got to call out just shameless hypocrisy. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that the, the solid grace and authentic, caring nature of Joe Biden is a refreshing change to all of that shamelessness. That's my view, and I'm hoping it'll change. You you put a decent person communicating in a decent way and delivering for working people. That gotta be, and if people don't want that, then I, I, I'll I step back and I'll let Ted Cruz, the magic of Ted Cruz run this country because uh, <laughs> I don't know what more a Democrat could hope for than decency, uh, uh, it's hard to be indecent. I'm as speaking as a fellow blue hand as the as the president and the first lady. It's hard to be. It's hard to be anything but a decent person in Delaware because you know you go see the same people every other day for the next thirty years. So you know you are uniquely accountable. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's such a small community. You know it's a wonderful community, but it's very tight. Yeah, so you might be right. You, can, you you can't get away with being you know anything but a decent. Person. The most shameless so. uh, folks are definitely coming from. Texas and Florida, where I presume you never bump into the same person twice in your life. They're so big. And that's their vibe, you know, is that that's the place for those kinds of people to go. One thing that I never got, like one, I never got the 
vibrancy of the national media and the zeitgeist of it, like uh, like your colleague Liz Smith was uh, so fantastic at understanding. But I, I also really, even though I went to law school and found myself, I'm a member of the bar, found, I find, fancy myself a history person, I just never understood how this country is a country of states and the states are so unique and they're, you know, they really are their own countries in a way, their own laboratories of democracy, certainly. I just, did, did you see that all the way along because of your time traveling the country or did you see it as an, as, as somebody from Ireland differently than did, did it take, it seems to, seems to have not, uh, taking you so long to figure that out you know it really it does go back to when i was at boston college and we that's what we did every we took two week trips across america we went to many states we got uh different views on government uh activity uh the purpose of government the expectations of the citizens the resources of the states uh we went everywhere from louisiana to california to um uh uh Texas, uh, we were based in Massachusetts. So we, we just had a wonderful eye on how America works. And, and actually from the very get-go, I've truly enjoyed my time uh, at the US Conference of Mayors and the Democratic Governors Association. But were you, were you like- And the National oh, Governors this, Association. This, so we saw like, that. Oh, this is... Every state's totally different. Every leader is reflective of their state. And that view, that melding of those views is where we get great outcomes. The, the thing that it takes a long time to understand, Damien, especially for people like us, is the vast majority of people are not paying as much attention to the uh, structures and, and the, 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 the uniqueness of their state uh, the way we are. And so most people, a lot of, they, you know, it's just like the, the blue laws. Uh, when you grow up with them, you just think that's, that's normal. It's like you know, in Maryland, I live in Baltimore City, and I love Baltimore City. I'm very, very sad at the the place it's at right now when it comes to uh, crime and and neglect. And uh, the amount of people who say to me when I point out how remarkable our situation is, who say to me, "Well, it's like that everywhere." Well, it can't be like that everywhere where you're the most violent city in America. They, it's very difficult for people to understand that what they look out at every day is not the way things are everywhere. And that's from a city perspective and a state perspective. So uh, it's been wonderful. It's something I really enjoy is getting the inputs. And actually, because I work for enterprises, nonprofits or trade associations or great corporations uh, who are in every state and experiencing the difference of operating in every state, I'm reminded every day of the great differences that exist. And actually, you know, as long as we're looking for great outcomes, that's that's wonderful because we can pull the best ideas from the from all over. And I, I, I'm very optimistic that that'll all work out. I'm actually really optimistic for our corporate clients. I, I think that- How do you make sure you're- Go ahead. I, I did want to point out that I'm not being, I, I'm really, it's not just that as a Democrat, I'm happy about Joe Biden. As a capitalist, I'm really happy about Joe Biden. I think trickle down has failed. And the more people that can afford to buy cars, the more people that can afford to buy TVs, the more people that can afford to go on vacation, then the better Marriott does or General Motors does or, you know, Carnival Cruise Lines does. Uh, and 
uh, the more people that have health care, then the better United uh, Anthem Insurance, uh, some, some great people, uh, Walgreens, the better they do. And that's what's good for the individual is good for America and it's good for capitalist America. Uh, and we need more people who are part of our economic system to feel engaged, to feel part of it, and to be able to participate in it so that they can get better jobs. And, and things like Biden enforcing a $15 an hour contractor law means that those people who live in Montana and they actually can only work uh, four months a year as a in the national parks as a, as a guide or, or that's how they structure their life, that $15 an hour is going to transform their life and, and it's going to give them the ability to participate in public life, send their kid to school and, and, uh, and to, to have that extra cup of coffee or to open that other small business. And, and so I think it's going to be transformative and I think it's going to be an amazing few years ahead of us for every corporation and, and, and nonprofit and just public life in general. I'm very optimistic. And you think you'll overcome the historical challenges about uh, midterm elections and be able to hold on to the House and Senate or are you going to? I'm hopeful. Uh, he, he deserves it. Um, and he does deserve he does he deserves a shot we deserve to give him a chance we've tried the other since Ronald Reagan transformed America and and uh, we have tried trickle down I love him calling down calling out trickle down um, everybody knows it doesn't work since the day we embraced it as an economic philosophy the gap between uh, the rich and everybody else has grown exponentially and uh, we we deserve to give everyone else a shot now what have we got to lose? Well, you heard it from one of the greats, Colin O'Commerton, 50 State. You can find, where can we find you on the interwebs? Oh, uh, you can always find me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Facebook complaining about uh, uh, a lack of excitement about opportunity in Baltimore City. I do way too much of that. Uh, my real passion. I want to see this city uh, have a million people back living in it uh, as we did in the 1950s. Um, and uh, of course, at uh, 50state.com, uh, you'll find uh, all your government affairs needs met in every state in the United States. Damien, I hope I get the chance to talk to you again soon. It is one of the great uh, joys and pleasures in my life. And uh, second only to going and visiting with you at your, in your beautiful hometown and experiencing the rejuvenative powers of nature. Uh, you've always got a unique take I, and, and I, I, I wanna hear more of it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making it happen for me out here. <laughs> I appreciate it.